Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, every single week of the year, is my good friend, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone, especially our human listeners. Did I say that right, Ben? Yes. Okay. Uh, In case this is the first time you've heard this podcast, thank you for trying something new. Uh, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. We can be found all over the internet. Me specifically at autoguide.com and its YouTube page. And you can find Ben at a bunch of publications, including autoguide.com and autotrader and driving.ca and driving line and automobile magazine. And there was one you were talking about last week. What was it? Oh, Super Street. Super Street with that wicked Mazda story. I love that. Okay. But this week, Ben and I have some cars to talk to you about. Uh, we usually have cars to talk to you about, don't we? Yes. Um, I, I talked about this last week. We had a Dodge Charger. I tested it against a Kia Stinger. And I figured it would be good. It, would, it was a good way to see two very large sedans with all-wheel drive um, in their base powertrains. And Ben, don't you think that's a good comparison? Well, you know, I, I, I do, but I, I, they're not Uh-oh. both sedans, Sammy. What? One of them is a hatchback. It's a liftback? Oh, okay. Or back. I'm sorry, Mr. Marketing. One of them has a fifth door that's pretty big. How about we go with that? Fine. A, tr- a ginormous trunk. But the tr- but the Charger also has a huge trunk. I don't disagree I, that they're. I don't disagree that they're competing with each other. I'm just saying I, I feel like they're different cars in the same segment. Okay. Fine. Does that help? I feel much better having said that. <laughs> okay. Good. Um, all right. What do you want to hear about this Dodge Charger? I didn't everything, have, everything. Spill your I guts. I didn't have an eight-cylinder model, so immediately half of our our listeners have just stopped the podcast and thrown whatever they're using to listen to the podcast out the window. But you have like kind of the affordable. Maybe I'm going to get it at the rental counter special, right? That's right. I had the SXT all-wheel drive model, which I believe is actually I think it's new for 2019. Um, it's a special version of the, of the charger and it is supposed to be, um, more affordable. I'm trying to find good, a good price. Um, oh, where is it? I'm trying to find a good price tag for it, but I'm struggling, um, because I was caught off guard when we started this podcast. Yeah. It's almost like you do zero preparation for, for these <laughs> That's segments. That's not true. I do all of the preparation, and but it's this time. like you haven't even been driving this car for a full week. <laughs> Oh, that's not true. Can I admit, though, the Charger is an ancient-feeling vehicle in both a good and bad way. When you get into this car, it is huge. Like, the seats are for there – there was a time when humans were giant people, and this was, this was that time. You know, apparently back before, um, you know, when dinosaurs were roaming the Earth, there were giant mammals, including giant sloths. Did you know this? Are we really talking about this? Anyways, I believe that the Charger is made for giant sloths. Okay, the fascinating. Are massive. Absolutely They're fascinating such to the large and the whole car itself feels like ginormous. When you sit in it, you're driving on the highway and you look um you look out your window and you'll see a crossover probably, most likely. You will <laughs> notice that the Charger, you are making eye contact with the driver of the crossover very easily in the in the Charger okay, like you're I have, not. I have a question. Mm-hmm. How many sloths buy, buy crossovers? And also, how many sloths do you think are in our listenership? Like, t- well, two and a half? Half a sloth? I think it's got to be more than two. 
and a half. No, I think you're vastly overestimating our draw in the slot. Well, are you calling two toad slots half a slot? Wow. I first of all, that's racist. Second of all, I don't even know how to address that question. That's right. Don't start this slot this slot talk on me. What were we talking about again? We were talking about cars, and then you started talking about mammalia, <laughs> and then, oh, things, yeah. then things got a little weird. What do you want to know about the charger? I mean, the thing about the charger is that it's been around forever, like actually forever. It is it is ancient now. It is um, it is the Degrassi, the next generation of automobiles. It's been it, there's 15 seasons of that. We've seen the charger forever, um, and I am I'm I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing because. It gets the job done. It's a very big, affordable vehicle. But unlike the Stinger that I compared it to, I wasn't having the most fun driving it. And that's probably because I had the V6, the the base engine, versus the really... um, There's something about the V8. Oh, the noise. That's what it is. That makes you giggle and laugh whenever you're driving one of the Hemi or the the 5.7 liter Hemi or the the 6.4 liter... um, What's it called? Scatback, right? So it's basically it's 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 a, the equivalent of an Avalon, a Toyota Avalon, or a Nissan Maxima, right? Okay, it's not that. It's not like that. I mean, why those is it not are... like that? It has a V6, roughly the same power. It's the same size. I mean, it, it feels really similar to those cars. There's just, I'm trying to figure it out. There's like a there's like a comfort element to those to to this car. Um, and it's also available with all-wheel drive. That's what I've got here, right? This is what makes it stand out differently than a Maxima in a in a uh, Avalon, and that's why I thought it would be the perfect foil for uh, a Stinger. And I found that just the Stinger ended up feeling more precise and more premium in that way, while the Dodge Charger, you know, some people don't need that precision and they don't need that like ultra tactile feeling that some cars provide. Um, and that's what the sting, that's what the charger really excelled at. It was a very lazy, comfortable, um, normal car to drive. So ex- exactly like an Avalon then. <laughs> I just want to be clear that it's an Avalon. <laughs> it's not an Avalon. Our, it's our, an all wheel drive listeners. Avalon with, with a snarling face on the front. Yeah. Maybe but you can get with a V8 if you want with a V8 if you really want to. I mean, there's a, there's a persona to the charger. No, I agree with that. I think it's a very nice. versatile platform. I just think the entry level car is with the V6 is perhaps comparable to a, a number of vehicles. You wouldn't necessarily think are in the chargers um, wheelhouse, which is kind of like the Kia situation, right? With the stinger. I mean, yes. I mean, first of all, stinger charger. Those are aggressive names. Avalon oh, kind of sounds like a band your parents listen to. What about Maxima? <laughs> Maxima. I don't know. I saw. I saw a really. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I don't know what Maxima makes me think of. Romans, maybe. But, but you know what? I was really. I was really struggling with this. Not struggling with this comparison. It was. It was hard to find exactly why I would take one car over the other. Because for some buyers, they would recommend. They would prefer a car that is just very large, comfortable, and gets the job done when it comes to moving people around, and you don't have to think too much about that. But then other buyers, especially you know those who skew towards um, being car enthusiasts, would like the Stinger's driving behavior and the fact that it feels more premium modern. Um, and there's that element in, in as well. What's the what's the pricing like? Did you did you touch on that? I don't remember you mentioning it. So I mentioned that the the Stinger when you get an all wheel drive Stinger it'll co- uh it'll cost you about thirty five thousand dollars. I was still looking at the Dodge website when I got distracted by something. I yeah, probably some sloths. Yeah, I was man. 
Why you got to do this to me? Why you got to always be on slothworld.com forward slash Sammy's house? <laughs> That's a disturbing <laughs> URL at best. <laughs> um, let me see here. I got an all-wheel drive one. It can cost it, – it actually the, – the price lines up really well. Now, I have – for whatever reason, I found myself in a Canadian website where the base price of the all-wheel drive V6 Dodge Charger is $37,000, which is comparable to what you'd find a Stinger for. And I think that's, a, that's perfectly lined up. I love that. So – but there's something to it, right? I mentioned last week when I was talking about the Stinger, there was a little bit of turbo leg um, and that – that tip-in feeling was not quite um, not quite there for me. But on the other hand, the 3.6-liter Pentastar V6 that's found in the Charger is really responsive. It's It's got none of that lagginess to it. It just feels like it's hauling a, a much bigger car and a much heavier car, which I think is carrying its weight probably a little bit higher than the um, Stinger would. So it feels like a, a little bit of a, of a floatier vehicle when you're trying to hustle it down the road. Fair enough, fair enough. The weight difference between the two cars is about three or 400 pounds, so it's not nothing. But these are cars that are close to that 4,000-pound mark, you know? Yeah, for sure. And that's, well, nothing, I mean, to, that's nothing to be, I think. But, but I think a Stinger and a Ford GT, Ford Mustang GT weigh very similar. Like, isn't a Ford Mustang around 3,700 now? Yeah, yep. And uh, so, I mean, a Stinger can get as low as 3,700 pounds in some in some. Um, in some cases, but not the all-wheel drive model. What about the uh, all-wheel drive four-door Mustang? Where does that fit in here? <laughs> I'm. Let me get. Let me. Uh oh. Follow-up question: How many sloths can fit inside a four-wheel drive four-door Mustang? Um, I think four. Four. That's conservative. What about if they're hanging onto the roof with their massive sloth claws? That's true. Um, eight. Yeah, that's that's that seems better. Um, I all I'm getting at is I found that the the Stinger was was more modern feeling. The technology is there. Um, I, I like the layout of the vehicle. You know, there's so many parts of the charger. When you're using the charger, it feels like, I don't know, like I said, I don't know how it's designed for some people that are are, are used to bigger buttons and, and big, a giant chunky steering wheel and huge seats that I never felt were comfortable enough for me. Um, Which version it, of Uconnect did you have? Um, the 8. 8.4. 8.4, yes. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, yes. I had no complaints about the infotainment system. Um, what else do I, do I did I want to touch upon? Well, you want to tell I, us which one you would buy if it was your money. If it was my money, it would be the Kia Stinger. And is that because you want to like chip the turbo and go crazy? I didn't even think about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, like I said, it felt like a slightly tighter drive as well as a tighter vehicle like it just felt like it was built um properly around the 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 four or five passengers that you can fit into it while the charger felt like it was a bit too big a little bit too much and um it just wasn't working for me i think it would work for some buyers but not me and i think that's really interesting because they sell so many dodge chargers i think it's over a hundred thousand a year while the stinger i don't think it's crested 20 yet well, I mean, the Stinger's still very new, and it's it's a new segment for Kia to be in. So I think the brand recognition is not necessarily there for them yet. Um, and I also would be curious to look at incentive spend on the Charger to see where that's where that's sitting. Right. 
Um, what about you? I mean, have you ever thought about these two cars being competitors? I mean, I think that's what happened is I told somebody, I'm like, I'm going to compare these two. And they're like, people people would look at me kind of funny and be like, are those two cars competitors? And I think, I think big cars is a weird segment because there's a lot of cars that fit a certain size, but they're very different. Like, um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to hear me say the word Avalon again, but I'm going to say sure. Avalon because it is, you know, <clears throat> if you look at the, the Avalon, the Stinger, the Maxima, the Taurus, and the Charger – they're all competing for the same customer in very different ways. So it's you can even throw the Impala in there too. I mean, mm. these are all unusually large vehicles that are slowly seeing their market share eroded by crossovers. And when I say slowly, I mean by a huge landslide that's going to eventually, you know, take over the entire auto industry. But I mean this really weird um like market segment takeover or or a confusion, I think, is it happens in all kinds of different segments. I think me and you have talked about vehicles like the Hyundai Santa Fe and the Nissan Murano being vehicles that like aren't quite compact and then they're not quite large. Yeah. Kind of like mid size. I, I don't think it's necessarily the same as when you're looking at crossovers because crossovers are right now a single slice of the pie that's being sliced infinitely thinly. So right. uh, with with the sedans, I mean, they've been around forever. And I think these large cars, they're just representative of the various personalities and engineering uh, design briefs that are coming out of very different companies. So mm-hmm. Toyota is never going to build a Charger, ever, in its life. It's just not going to, and not for export to North America, right? So uh, you get to see the expression of a company much more clearly through a sedan versus a, an SUV because SUVs are, are, let's just say it, they're cookie cutters. Mm-hmm. Um, they're being built not because someone had a passion to build them. They're being built to fill the market need. I don't think large sedans fill a market need anymore. And the companies that are still producing them, uh, they put a little bit more personality into them as a result. So there's good brand differentiation. I mean, a Stinger is nothing like nothing like an Impala. I mean, nothing at all. <laughs> and yet they're and yet they're competing in the same roughly price point for the same customer. And then if you look at the Stinger versus the Charger, I think it's an interesting comparison for another reason. Whereas you have these entry level models that are roughly similar in power, but they also have performance models with the GT with its 365 horsepower. And then there's the base V8 and the Charger. And then you can go totally crazy and get a Hellcat version of the Charger right. if you want to. So like that's something neat that um, Ford was doing that with the SHO version of the Taurus. I don't know if you can still buy that. Can you? I'm not. I'm not sure. I haven't seen a new Taurus in a long time. So I mean, there's the TRD version of the Avalon that we'll never speak about again <laughs> because it doesn't follow this trend. But it's right. just, it's just interesting that like Dodge and, and Kia kind of line up so well, even if you go up the trim levels. But I, I really do believe though that it's the Charger is feeling like an old vehicle, a, a dated vehicle, downright in every way, and not in the worst possible ways. Um, like I said, it's very comfortable, very lazy to it, fairly like easy to drive, jump in, it works. Um, but there's just like this preciseness that you find in modern cars, a rigidness that feels like this is built brand new. Um, and, and it, and it focuses on how the driver, how a driver would want their vehicle to be like, and the charger doesn't quite have that. Okay. Well, you know, I, this seems like a good time to segue into another brand newish vehicle, that I drove, um, and that is the 2019 Honda Pilot. Sammy, have you driven the Pilot? I have driven the Pilot, and I'll admit the Pilot um, is a very good pick because 
Um, I imagine its buyers are comparing it to something like a minivan, and it's a it's just as good as a minivan in some ways. Okay, so just as good as a minivan is perhaps the worst praise Sammy has ever lavished on any vehicle <laughs> on our entire podcast. <laughs> so mean. Um, That's good. That's good. Okay, yeah, yeah. Try and backpedal as much as you want, Sammy. But it came out of your mouth into these sloths ears. Um, I had not driven the pilot in quite a long time, and the pilot was what was it most recently redesigned? Two years ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, then in nineteen, there there were some improvements that were made to it, but it's it's not. It wasn't a dramatic, dramatic um, update of the vehicle in any way. So you still get the same three and a half liter V six putting out two hundred eighty horsepower. It has. How many now speeds? you get a new transmission, right? That's is what it, they changed. It, well, is it nine speeds now? Is that it is nine speed? I yeah. feel like they updated the nine speed because they were having issues with the 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 because you used to be able to get a six speed or a nine speed, right? Like you still depending, can. yeah, depending on the trim level. Yeah. So um, none of that's really important to me. I, I think oh really? That, <laughs> you're getting so deep into it. <laughs> no, what I want to say is here's my impression of the pilot. Tell me. It's almost the same as any other vehicle in its class. I mean, driving like, the Pilot versus have the you driven a Highlander before. Yeah, so this is what I'm going to say. If you'd let me finish, uh, can I can I can I complete my thought? Is that yeah, go for it. Uh, is that okay? Do the sloths agree that this can happen too? Uh, let me consult. It'll take forever. It's taking a while. Okay, so I think that a Pilot versus a Subaru Ascent versus a Toyota Highlander versus a Chevy Traverse. There's really nothing between those vehicles to dramatically separate them out from each other. It's wait, wait, wait. Opposite... What, about the, what about the Volkswagen Atlas? Oh, man. No, the Atlas is a tier below. <laughs> oh. Clearly a tier below. Okay. Um, but of the ones I just mentioned, it's the opposite of what we were just talking about with the big sedans, where they have personality and they're different and they represent kind of um, the the... the I, I guess design philosophies of their brands. But These that's SUVs, was, but that's what I was getting at. I was saying that this car has no personality, other than the fact that it's extremely practical, easy to live with every single day with a family. I don't uh, think any full size SUV in the pilot segment has a personality because I think they're being built for a demographic. They're not representing yeah. a philosophy from the company. I mean, the company's philosophy is in the details of each of these vehicles and, and how things are executed. But, I mean, you buy a Pilot because you want a bus. You know, that's why you right. bought it. Exactly. Or you, you don't want a minivan. You didn't want to spend fifty grand on an Odyssey for whatever reason. Yeah. So you, had, you can't get all-wheel drive in the Odyssey, can you? But you can get a vacuum. Yeah, you can get a vacuum. So you want all-wheel drive, so you buy the Pilot. That's totally fine. I understand why this vehicle exists. It's okay that it is not at all interesting to drive. None of the other vehicles I mentioned earlier in the same segment are interesting to drive either. They all do a job. They have lots of room inside. They're reasonably comfortable. And they're very, very safe. So that's kind of – that's a sweet spot for a lot of families, uh, especially if you're looking for a three-row like the like – the like the, I almost said passport. The pilot. Um but the, an interesting thing happened, Sammy, during my week with, with the pilot. Do you want to know what that is or do you want me to just stop? Did you have that? a family to I, put in the, in the I pilot? I did. I suddenly had a family. It's, uh, it's a miracle. Um, Congratulations. No, I rode solo oh. in that pilot the whole time. I was just – I had all that space to myself. I actually drove from the third row for a while. I, I rigged up some ropes. <laughs> it was so dangerous. How did you – well, I mean your eyesight isn't the best. How did you see out the, the – did you? how did you do that? Um, I mostly closed my eyes. Have you seen Bird Box? 
Yeah. yeah I did that. I did, the oh. whole, I did the bird box challenge from the third row of the pilot. All right, cool. And so that's what happened. You got That's the, one you, of the things that happened. One of the other things that happened was there was a crazy snowstorm here in Montreal. And I mean crazy like we got two or three feet of snow. It wasn't only in Montreal the snow happened. Okay, happened. no one's interested in what happens in Toronto. I'm sorry. Uh, we got to make that very clear. Can we mention my snowstorm without talking about your snowstorm? Is that is that okay? Like, are you are we allowed to do that? Let me just hold on. The sloth has come to agreement about what you were saying with the the sloth is raising its ancient scepter. (laughs) So there was a snowstorm. We got a buttload of snow at the same time as it was minus twenty five degrees. So it was the it was the coldest snow that normally doesn't happen. Normally it's warm when it snows. So it was the coldest snowstorm in Montreal in a hundred years. Um, it was so cold. It's when you were driving around outside. Normally, the salt will melt the snow into like a nasty brown slush, but it yeah. was too cold for the salt. So it was everywhere you rolled, you were just crunching on fresh snow, and uh, it, it was kind of picturesque in that sense. If it wasn't trying to freeze you to death at the same time, but the the the, the I was a little concerned because the pilot is not an off roader, right, Sammy? Um, I mean, I mean, I... it's it's a yes no question. <laughs> It's not. I mean, with 7.3 inches of ground clearance, it's not as off-road ready as, say, a Wrangler might be. And it, it doesn't have locking differentials or any of that fun stuff either. No. Right? Like, it's an all-wheel no. drive system. So I was worried because the people who normally plow my alley decided not to do that, <laughs> and uh, which was frustrating. Were they on strike, as everyone in Montreal sometimes goes on strike during one wow. time of the year? Wow. No. No. <laughs> That's not... Wow. Okay, Montreal is not France, all right? Oh, right, my mistake. Shout out to our six listeners in France. Keep it real. Um, Anyway, so I had this alley filled with snow up to my knees, Mm. and I had to go somewhere. And I didn't think... You had to go somewhere. Fancy that. And I did not think the pilot would make it. And and the thing is, once once I left the alley with the snow up to my knees, I ended up on the street where snow was like above my above my my caps like it was still very high and i got in the car and i'm like there's a big snow drift in front of it and i'm very lazy and i'm not gonna okay but hold on how big was the snow drift in relation to your body because this is the only way you've been describing (laughs) (laughs) yeah you gotta picture me the snow drift was at the grill level of the pilot whoa okay and i don't shovel because i'm not gonna do that i'm not a peasant so like uh I get in the car, I wait for it to warm up, I clear the snow off the side, which makes the snow dr- drift even bigger. And then I just, I, I I put it in, I turn off traction control, which when you do that in the pilot, it says stuck vehicle recovery mode activated, <laughs> which is a very cute way to say traction control off. And then I put it in snow mode for the all-wheel drive system because I thought, you know, it'll probably give me more power at the rear wheels, kind of more even split. And it got out of that snow with no problem at all. Not only that... I did not get stuck for the entire two days that Montreal was just total chaos. This thing drove everywhere I asked it to. It drove through deep snow. It drove through snow banks. It got itself in and out of situations that I was seriously worried I would get stuck in. And uh, it was safe the entire time. Um, The only thing I have to complain about is the automatic windshield wipers were crap, just like almost all of them are when it's snowing. It could not tell when there was snow on the windshield. I had to use them manually all the time. Car companies need to stop using this feature, please. Just go back to regular uh, interval wipers. It does not work when it snows. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, hold on. What do you? What is so good about this? Like, you ch- you really believe that there's some magic to the pilot that 
other card, like the 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 Highlander or the. I mentioned the Atlas before. I'm going to bring it up again. I would not drive an Atlas. I would not. I would have had the same fears about driving an Atlas or a Highlander in this this level of snow. I thought that the pilot was a faux uh, mall cruiser, basically, and mm. I had no faith in its ability to get me through this snowstorm, and it proved me wrong. I was a hundred percent wrong. If, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to refresh my memory. But last year you drove, I think, a Traverse in a really bad snowstorm as well. It wasn't and, really a snowstorm. It was just after a snowstorm, and I got it stuck parking it on the side of the road, and it took me an hour to dig it out. And the snow and the pilot? I high-sided it, basically. The yeah, pilot, and the pilot, no. No, no problems problem. in much worse conditions. So do you understand why I had that fear, Sammy? Yeah, of course. So now I see that that's the, that's the context I'm trying to make here. You, you have been driving vehicles in this kind of weather before, um, so it's not the first time you've had a big old three-row SUV. Um, or crossover, this thing manages in a way that other cars have managed poorly, right? Well, it, it didn't let me down, you know, and I thought it would. And the other thing, too, is I could slide it around pretty good with the traction control off, which is something I appreciate when it's snowing. Um, I, I don't like when the, the nannies come in and just grab all the wheels and, and keep you in a straight line because sometimes they need to pivot around a corner. It's just there's not a lot of room in the road because of where the snowbanks are. And uh, if I do a normal turn, I'm going to crunch something. So it was pleasantly – the dynamics were pleasant in the snow as as boring as the car is in normal driving. <laughs> right. So, so, I, so uh, again, shocked. It's a great winter vehicle with the right tires on it. You're not going to get stuck. The snow mode is excellent. And I think that's a huge point in the pilot's favor. And I think that that's important to people who, like me, you know, maybe you live in Minnesota or Wisconsin or Michigan. And, and you're really thinking about, is this a real yeah. all-wheel drive system? Or is this something that, you know, activates every once in a while on some ice? You know, this is the real deal. Now, every time you use the car in the snow, did you put it in that, what was it called? Stuck recovery mode and snow mode? Or... I, I use snow mode almost all the time. I would also yeah. sometimes put the vehicle in sports so I get a little more, little more throttle because when you put it in snow mode, I believe it starts you in second gear and it also uh, attenuates throttle response a little bit. So I was try, kind of trying to make my own snow mode, um, but uh, I was generally happy with how the car drove in, in all snow situations. Okay. And then um, there was a question I had about the size of the vehicle. How would you like this car if it didn't have three rows of of seating? You're going to try and get me to talk about the Passport, aren't That's you? That's right. I don't want to talk about the Passport. Why? Because I haven't driven it. Okay, but on the surface, this new Honda, but wait, maybe Passport. Wait, imagine if you had driven it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know what? My colleagues have driven it and other people have driven it. And they've said really impressive things about specifically the off-road capable or the, the off-road confidence of the vehicle. And you know what? Before the Passport reviews started happening, people were kind of like, you know, they, they scrunched their face together and they're like, but, you know, a Honda isn't a Subaru. It's not a Jeep. You can't really do that kind of stuff. But here you are. You're telling me that the president, the precedent is there with the pilot and its off-road or its snow handling capability. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say off-road because it's a different kind of driving, but the snow that's, mode was great. That's right. That's very interesting. I'm, um, I'm, I, I love seeing that or feeling that when a car um, that feels really humdrum in, in regular driving situations can feel confidence-inspiring during the worst road conditions you can think of. And that's rare. I don't think all cars have that. But no, it also has a lot to do with the tires. Did you note the tires that were on it? I did not. They were winter tires. What as much as I can tell you. 
Oh, no, Ben, I need to know. Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to zoom in. Well, you know what? Why don't I take a look at the photos that I took of the car? <laughs> and I'll zoom, zoom in super hardcore. Yeah. And I'll find those photos. But while I'm Thank doing this, you. you're going to have to... Uh, you're Fill gonna in some to, time? Well, you're going to have to entertain people. Well, I mean, we had... I already I already tried the sloth council, and uh, they've all gone back to sleep now. Yeah, no one's interested in your weird sloth talk. I'm... I'm that's really funny, though, because I thought that... Well, I drove the Pilot next to a new Subaru Ascent, and that Subaru Ascent had that off-road confidence um, as well. I felt really happy with the way that that thing handled off uh, in off-road situations. So there's car- there are other vehicles in its class that perform this way, and I think tires will probably have a huge a huge say in in the capabilities of any vehicle in rougher conditions. Okay, I can't read the sidewall in any of these pictures. I don't know why I took all these photos at night. They're so useless to anyone. <laughs> I mean, what was I thinking? How much is this um, pilot? And do you think that's a good price, whatever it is? Uh, in Canada, I have the price, but I don't have the U.S. price. Let me grab it for you really quickly. Mm-hmm. How much? Is, okay. This is my problem with the pilot as well. Is I find that at its fully loaded number it's very expensive that's true of almost every honda people mover so it starts at 31 grand and then it goes up to 48 so that's that's a considerable amount of money yeah and uh it's all-wheel drive does not become a does not become standard until you get to the top tier so if you're buying a lesser tier version of the pilot you'd have to add more money to get all-wheel drive all-wheel drive is standard only on the fully loaded model therefore is it really standard (laughs) Do I understand um, a joke? Was that a joke? Uh, yes. Hilarious. It's okay. I won't try to explain it. Is it a sloth joke? No. Are they a, are they a better audience? Uh, they're me, more captive. Let me look. No, they're still asleep. <laughs> you know, I hear a sloth sleeps like uh, 26 hours a day. Is that true? <laughs> yep. Wow. Um, I think that's – is that it for this week's – Episode? I'm still trying to find this tired thing for you, but uh, it's yeah. okay. We you can't. Yeah, it's totally tired. okay because you're the only one who cares. <laughs> That's not true. Good winter tires are such an important part of driving in the snow, and I I've had good and bad winter tire experiences, and I think you have too. Um, I think this is a conversation that you had sparked in another uh, in another day, but you had some winter tires. I think on a BMW. That you're yeah. so enthused about? There's some winter tire talk that we'll have on a future episode with a vehicle oh, I'm driving right now. To, why do we have to do that now? Why because, can't we do that now? Because then we won't have anything to talk about next week. <laughs> is next week the winter tire special? If you want it to be, ask the oh. sloths. Is that what's going to happen? They're still asleep, man. I don't want to talk. You know, how, up then. That's true. They can go to sleep again. Yeah, they say winter tire talk is next week. All right, so that's what's going to happen next week. I am going to be talking about a couple of cool vehicles. It is going to be a mix of the uh, Infiniti QX50, which is a vehicle I have not driven since the launch and certainly hadn't driven in the snow until now, as well as the 2019 Wrangler Rubicon uh, two-door, which I spent a week with in Los Angeles. And spoiler alert, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. I have some cars that are um, under embargo I can't talk about, and I don't remember when the embargo is over yet. So I will tell you that they're fun to drive. They're super cars. And I also have a Honda Accord 1.5 that I'm going to be taking a long, cold road trip. So I can't wait to tell you about that. Wow, myself. nothing sounds exciting like a long, cold road trip. <laughs> well, it won't be lonely. And it will be to a very fun, a very wonderful land known as Quebec City. Okay. Have you heard of this place? I have heard of it. Uh, I've I've heard – it's where I send my taxes. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> if you want to hear more of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, although I'm not sure why you would after this episode, you can go oh. to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and all of our past episodes are there. Some of them we don't talk about sloths. In fact, I would say they are 99% sloth-free, and you can also find all of our um, subscription links if you want to go to Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, um, all Stitcher Radio, um, Apple iTunes, Apple Play Music. Is that a thing? I don't even know. But yeah. we're everywhere, and you can subscribe to us through there. If you do that, we would love for you to leave a comment or a rating. It really helps us become more visible and get in front of more listeners. Sammy, what if people want to talk to us about sloths? Is there a way they can get in touch? Absolutely. Social media is my favorite way to make um, any kind of communication with people. Um, if you want to get in touch with Ben, you can do it on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. And if you want to get in touch with me, I like to be on Twitter. You can find me at Sammy underscore ha. Now, if you don't want to do anything like that and instead you want to send an email, we can we can accommodate that. You can send an email at it's uh, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com or you can go to the website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and somewhere on the on the homepage there's going to be a button that says contact if you press that button you'll find a way to get in touch with us i promise we read every piece of fan mail that we get and all of your feedback is very important to us we read them out loud to each other while braiding each other's hair like let's be honest about how that works <laughs> it's my favorite part of uh, sunday night so uh thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week bye